And uh, and it was at school, and, and it was just a, a guy we were talking. We, we both go to Baptist churches. He said, uh, he said, my preacher believes you don't get baptized, you're not going to heaven. I said, really? Your preacher's wrong, but I want to hear why. Okay, I want to hear why. So he told me why, and he, he came to this scripture, and he said, this is why my preacher believes if you don't get baptized, you'll go to hell. You'll go, you'll go to hell. And there's another scripture in Mark that he used, but he said this, this right here is the foundation of everything he teaches and preaches. It's within 40 miles of where we're sitting in a Baptist church that the man preaches this. In chapter number 3 of 1 Peter, we're going to start in verse number 18 and read down through 22. The verse that he uses is verse number 21. But I want to make one thing very, very clear. The, the version of the Bible that he uses isn't quite like ours. It's a, a different version of the Bible. I don't, I don't remember if it was the NASB. I think it was the New American Standard Bible that he used. It was one of the off-brand Bibles. Uh, we use the, the Hidden Valley. He's using the Clover Valley and the Great Value and all that. Everybody understands off-brands. So this is the only one that counts. And then you have all the other off-brands that ain't quite as good. They're, they're cheap knockoffs. All right? And that's what he is using to, to tell people that if you are not baptized, then you are not saved. And a lot of religions do the same thing. They'll say, if, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, well, well, you can lose your salvation, you have to get it back. It's, it's, all a bunch of, it's all a bunch of lies. That's all it is. My Bible teaches of a knowing salvation that we don't have to guess if we're saved. My Bible teaches of an eternal salvation. That's why it is called everlasting life. It's not something that can run out or expire or go bad. Uh, whenever we began to move from our house in Bush down here, I guess we didn't clean out real well whenever we moved down there because we were throwing away things out of the refrigerator that expired in 2018. Uh, and to be the year 2020, that was pretty extensive, especially when you're talking about jarred pickles that expired you know, three years ago and they're in vinegar and they're not supposed to ever expire. But tonight I want to look a little bit about baptism and why we believe in baptism, why we believe that baptism cannot save you, why we believe in immersion baptism, and what baptism actually is. And according to Peter, here in chapter number 3, verse number 18, we'll begin reading the 1 Peter 3, verse number 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this afternoon. We thank you for all the blessings of life you bestowed upon us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight as we look into your word that we could do so with open hearts and receptive minds. God, help us that we would always be rooted and grounded in your word. In your true and honest word, Lord, help us that everything that we believe would come from it. That whenever we're questioned, whenever we're attempted out in the world, God, that we could always refer back to your word. That you could call it into remembrance. God, help us that we could draw closer to you daily. Be with the kids in the back, the teachers. God, be with them in a special way. 
All those are due to pray for. Forgive us what we fail you. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. As we read through verse number one, you understand where they get that from. Because those new version Bibles, it reads like this. It says, where baptism does save us. That's the way some of the new Bibles read. And I'm paraphrased. I don't know exactly what they said. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. But it leaves out everything What's in parentheses, and parentheses is a catch. But we're going to get down to that in a minute. The first thing I want to look at is, is that Noah here was a figure and a representation. And that's what this word here, figure, in the New Testament, it means a representative of a past event. So a symbol, something that represents something that has already happened. So whenever we put up a statue of Robert E. Lee, it is a representation of the man who fought in the war. It is not the actual man. It is concrete or marble or plastic or whatever it's made up of. It is not the actual person. It is a symbol. So whenever here he says in verse number 21 that it is a figure, it is a representation of things that has already come. Noah was a figure, a representation. The first thing we want to look about baptism is in verse number 21. Is that Baptism does not under any circumstances ever wash away sin. Anybody ever try to wash grease off your hand with just water? Just runs off. Don't do any good at all. Cooking oil, same thing. If you try to wash out a, a cast iron pot that, uh, that's just slammed full of baking grease, you got to get you some sure enough hot water, and then you got to help it out a little bit. It's, it's not just going to wash off. And sin does not at any point in time get washed away by baptism. That, that's not God's plan of salvation. His plan of salvation is believing on Jesus Christ, and that is it. And I believe that we have established that, and I believe that as Christians we are rooted and grounded in that belief. That is the, the core foundation of, of our ministry here on earth. It begins the day that we're saved. And so immediately following that, we are called to, and the phrase is, follow the Lord in baptism. Last Wednesday night before last, we talked about Jesus being baptized first as an example unto us. But the first thing I want to look at is the contradiction that is in this verse in parentheses immediately following where it says baptism does also, uh, excuse me, doth also now save us. Not the putting away of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. Now that word save there, it means three different things in the New Testament. And throughout the entire New Testament, the language that was used, that word save, means three different things. One is to be saved from hell. To be saved from condemnation. That is one definition of the word save in the New Testament. The second definition is to be saved from harm. To be saved from damage. To be saved from trouble. To be safe. The third definition is to be healed, to be renewed. Uh, whenever Jesus was healing, a lot of times they would use the word save in the New Testament. And, and that's kind of what that means. So whenever we're looking at this word, it, it can mean any of those three. And so if you pull this scripture out and you just pull it out and you stick it on the wall right here, it, it can mean absolutely anything. It's, it's kind of like what the media does with people that they don't like. They take things out of context. I could say... I absolutely despise people who hate on my Bible. And you take the second part of that away, and you say, that preacher said he despised people. That's taken out of context. In the same way, if we just pull this scripture out of here, without looking at the context around it, we can't understand fully what this, what this particular verse means. And it says that, the, that baptism is not the putting away of the filth of flesh. And I think Peter did this here, and, and, and I really feel like he wrote this to clarify 
In that, whenever John the Baptist was baptizing, he drew a crowd. Everybody remember that? He was baptizing at Jordan. And if you've seen any of the, the Chosen series or the Jesus movies, Jesus has to walk through a crowd to get to the River Jordan to get to John. He drew a crowd. Everybody that came to watch John the Baptist baptized was not saved. Can we agree on that part? Everybody that was spectating there was not saved. Because what he called them? Nobody? John the Baptist called them, was it vipers? Everybody that was around spectating was not, was not saved. They did not know the gospel. They did not understand God's salvation. They did not understand repentance to an omnipotent God. And so while they're sitting here watching, can it be inferred that, that they're sitting here watching John baptize people and they say, well, well, they're washing their sins away. That's what the song says. The song says the blood of Jesus washes our sins away. Can these people not watch people being dumped under the water and come back up and say they're washing away their sins? That is not a very far stretch for people that don't, do not understand the Scripture. They did not study the Bible. They did not listen to the preaching of John. And here I, I, I believe that Peter was trying to kind of clarify that for them. Also for us, centuries, centuries and centuries later, he said this is not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So what does it mean, a good conscience toward God? Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. What does God want us to do? In one word, what does God want us to do all the time? It starts with O, ends in bay. God wants us to obey. God wants us to follow in obedience. He gives us commandments throughout the Bible. And I know that, that we're no longer under the law, and so the Ten Commandments don't necessarily apply, a lot of people would like to say. But do not kill is do not kill. Do not steal is do not steal. Do not commit adultery is do not commit adultery. But God wants us ultimately to obey Him and the things that we do and the things that He asks. And one of the things that He asks is to follow in baptism, just as Jesus was baptized. And we colored, covered that last week, that, that it is to be a symbol of us burying the old man, as Paul said, and rising again as a new man in Christ. And so whenever Peter here says that this is a answer of a good conscience toward God, he is saying that, that this is a outward showing of salvation. The Bible says with the heart we believe and with the mouth we confess. But if I tell you I'm saved and I don't prove it, there's never any action, then what reason do you have to believe me? If I say I'm going to fly away, somebody that don't have faith in God and, and the rapture is not going to understand that song. They're, they're not going to get it. Bless you. He said it's an answer of a good conscience. Obedience unto God. Following Christ in salvation. That is what it's all about. It is an outward sign of being a witness. Not only that, it is our ticket into the church. The Bible says that we are baptized into the body of Christ. How are we baptized? Who has the authority to baptize? As kids, we baptize each other in the pool. We find somebody standing on the ledge right there, and we go up to them, and we turn around, we grab them, and we sink them right there. We baptize them in the pool. But as kids, we did not have the authority to baptize that person. Who has the authority to baptize according to the Bible? 
church. By the authority of the church. Not, not a person, not an individual. The church baptizes the, people, the, 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 the person into the body of Christ. And that is an outward representation of an inward change every time. And so whenever we talk about a good conscience toward God, it is the next step in our walk with Him. Whenever we get saved, we are newborn babes, correct? And so that first milk that baby's getting, I know Mr. Steve's not here, he would know it right off the top of his head. That first milk is colostrum. It is beautiful, wonderful. That first milk is colostrum. Without that colostrum, the, the chance of survivability for any species goes way down. That baptizing is like colostrum. It is the first step that we take after we are saved, after we follow God, after we believe in God, after we give our heart to Jesus, we follow Him in baptism. We are baptized into the church. Why is it important to be baptized into the church? Well, it comes back to that. It comes back to that second meaning behind that word save. To be safe from harm. To be in fellowship with God's people. Amen. Two or one gathered together. Does that mean we can have church at the Waffle House? I've had Bible studies at the Waffle House. A whole bunch. That was the best place to have a Bible study when I was in college. You could sit there and you could pull two or three tables together, a couple of booths together. And once you ordered one cup of coffee for a dollar and 13 cents, you could drink it all night. And they just keep filling it up. Dollar and 13 cents. Bottomless. Never ends. So we had our Bible studies at the Waffle House very, very often. We have Bible studies in the woods. People have church in tents. During the COVID, we had church on the front porch. The church is not the building. The church is the body. So whenever we talk about being baptized into the body of Christ, it has absolutely nothing to do with these buildings. Absolutely nothing. When hurricanes, tornadoes come through, churches are blown down. Monroe's Creek burned to the ground. Things happen to church buildings. But God protects the church. Whenever someone is baptized into the church, they become, you ever heard the phrase, part of something bigger? It's what people long for. It's what human nature seeks out. They want to belong to something bigger. It's the reason in high school people join clubs and teams and sports to, for a sense of belonging. Well, God said if we'll follow Jesus in, baptizing, he'll get in baptism, he'll give us a sense of belonging. Verse number 21 takes us back to the second point I want to make tonight that baptism is by immersion. If people would have been standing by the river of Jordan and John would have got him a gourd or a bucket or whatever they scoop with that day and been scooping up water and dumping on these people's heads. Does that suffice for a bath? Does that suffice for a cleansing? For a purification? Before the priest would go into the, the temple and into the tabernacle to offer offerings to God they would purify themselves. They would wash themselves thoroughly. Any of your mamas ever smell under your arm when you got out of the shower and say, you didn't do good enough, go back in there. She couldn't ever smell nothing, but somehow or another she always knew that we jumped in and jumped out. We'd go in there and kind of hurry and get a shower because we were in a hurry to go do something. Forgot to wash our hair. We'll come out and our hair won't even be wet. Go back in there, wash up. We didn't get clean. The putting away of the filth of flesh is not the purpose of baptism. But a good conscience toward God, following Him in obedience, 
being fully submerged under the water is. It is baptism into the church. It is not sprinkling. It is not pouring. It is not taking a shower. And don't get me wrong, I think that I think that baptism is very, very symbolic. And so people that don't have any other options, I have seen people handicapped be helped into a baptistry and be helped down and be helped back up. I've seen people three-quarters immersed, and that was the best that they could do. They had been through a trauma, and they, they, they couldn't go underwater. They couldn't do it, and they weren't going to do it. And that was the best that they could do, and I, I believe that God understands that. But baptism is a cleansing. It is a washing away of the old man. It is a burial of the old man. Whenever you bury somebody, how deep do you bury? Six feet. Why? You don't want to leave arms sticking up. You don't want anybody to come cutting grass and see a finger. You don't want the animals to get to them either. But you, you, you don't leave things sticking out. You, you don't leave it partially halfway done. Whenever somebody is buried, they are completely and totally buried. For the dedication, if you will, of the remains, so that they are not desecrated in any way, they bury them deep enough that they won't be disturbed. The rest in peace is so that they can rest in peace. Whenever we baptize somebody, we fully immerse them in water. We completely and totally bury the old man. And then we rise again in newness of life. And that is part of that, that reformed mind transformed by the renewing of our mind that Paul talks about. We're going to jump back up, if you would, to verse number 18. And don't get off on verse number 19. I think Peter put verse number 19 here so that he could remind us that there everything in the Scripture is not for us to know everything about. If you have questions about verse number 19, find someone more intelligent to me. It is very, very deep. But I want to reread verse number 18. It says, For Christ has also once suffered the sins, excuse me, for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, by the Spirit, there's a colon immediately following that, which means there's an explanation coming. But Jesus came and was physically put to death on this earth. He physically died. That did not save us. Jesus being killed did not save us. Jesus living a perfect life did not save us. Jesus being buried didn't save us. Jesus being judged didn't save us. But Jesus doing all of that did. Jesus doing all of that and rising again from the grave, conquering death so that we could rise again with him, symbolizing that through baptism, that saved us. That, that belief is what saves us. That faith is what saves us. Jesus Christ died. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. I read a lot of Bible commentaries of what other people have to say. And if you go and you read 20 commentaries on that one verse right there, you're going to get 21 answers. It's coming. Who did he go preach to? Did he preach to those in prison? Did he preach to demons, spirits? Those in hell, who did he preach to? That is beyond me. But the next verse says, which sometime were disobedient. When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was prepared, 
wherein few that in eight souls were saved. There's that word again, by water. Did the ark save the soul of Noah and his family? The ark didn't do it. The ark did not have the power to save the soul of Noah and his family. It, it couldn't. If it could, then we couldn't be saved because we don't have the ark. It's gone. It's in Kentucky. I can't get up there to see it. So we're just out of luck. The ark did not save anyone. The ark saved them from harm. The ark saved, and, and that's where we come back to the, the different translations of that word save. The ark protected them. The ark kept them from damage, kept them from harm, kept them from, well, kept them from physical death. Their faith in God kept them from spiritual death. But their faith in this ark and, and this ark itself saved them from the water. The like figure is Christ being our Savior. And I know all through last week and all the Sunday school teachers are tired of hearing this, that the ark represented Jesus. And it, it, it did. The ark saved Noah's family. Jesus saved us. Right? That, that's how you get the lesson like that across to kids. You relate it. You, you, you compare it to something. You connect it to something. And so that's what we did last week. But be very careful not to, not to overcomplicate things. The ark saved them. But the ark is not what saved them. Their faith saved them. Their belief saved them. Their trust in God saved them. In this figure, this like figure, whereunto even baptism, doth also now save us. This same faith, this same trust that Noah and his family had in God saves us. Not baptism. Not the putting away of the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is going into heaven. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is noted here in these four verses, five verses. Death, burial, and resurrection, all preached by Peter. And he's writing to, I believe it's churches in Asia. Yeah, he's writing to the strangers scattered throughout those countries in Asia. He's writing to individuals. He's writing to small places. He's not writing to a body of Christ specifically. He's writing to people. And in these verses here, he teaches not only why Christ came, he teaches his death, his burial, and the resurrection in verse number 21, who is going into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. While he was on this earth, seems like everybody wanted a shot at Jesus. And not anymore. And if we'll believe in him and follow him in baptism. Be baptized into the local church. Be baptized into the body of Christ. Which extends so much further beyond Harmony Missionary Baptist Church. That we really don't really want to know how many people actually make up the church of God. I don't think we can put a number on it. Bible believing churches make up the church of God. Make up the body of of Christ and being baptized into that is, is something special. It's something different. Not only that, it is a commandment of God. In order to be protected from harm, that word saved means to be protected from harm, from danger, from threats, from temptation. Being baptized into the church is a representation of that. God put a hedge around Noah. Do we think God does not have a hedge around us? He didn't put a hedge around Noah. Somebody fell asleep. He put a hedge around Job. And so at no point in time does God say he will not protect us. Matter of fact, he says the exact opposite. He said he will be with us. He will never forsake us. He will never 
forsake us. And he's talking to the church. And as a church, if, if we'll keep our eyes on him, if God will remain the priority in our life, then I think God will bless us. I'll have a verse of a song. Someone has something.